guys, let's talk about abortion. Uh, in most uh, elections, as I've said before, uh, there are only probably just two or three or four major issues uh, that, that put the tension really uh, where, it, where I guess it needs to be. Uh, one of those issues for a biblically informed born-again believer has to be, and I can't emphasize that, has to be that of abortion. So let's kind of pledge that out a little bit. Yeah, and I, I, see, I see that if we can't, as believers, get this issue right, then we can't get any issues right. Yeah. If, we can't, if we can't get the idea of the sacredness of life and life being in God's hands and being at the, starting at conception, not only life but personhood, starting at conception, then we can't get any of it right. Um, we had the discussion a couple weeks ago in a small group that if if I was a single-issue voter, if there was one issue that I would call a single-issue voter, because we hear that talked about a good bit in the media, and things, these single-issue voters uh, yada, yada, in, are portrayed as closed-minded and things like that. Well, I'll tell you right now, I, that would be the one issue that I would be a single-issue voter on, willing to sacrifice all the other things for that, mm -hmm. even the other things we're going to talk about. And I'm saying that because if I see that as a life, and I've had this conversation with uh, friends who are, who, who are you would say, pro-abortion or pro-choice, I've had this conversation with them and said, if you can understand from, from a Christian worldview perspective that that is a life, that that is a baby, then you really pro-choicers who say, well, I wouldn't do it myself, but I don't want to stop being the way of what a woman does with her own body. Then if that's how you see it, then, and you're saying you do see it as life, then you're the same as one of the Germans who said, well, I wouldn't kill a Jew, but who am I to say my neighbor can't? I wouldn't be a Nazi. But And look, I'm not throwing that on them as far as their heart goes but there is a deception there yeah. by the enemy that that lasts there i believe that life and personhood because we have to use that word now begins at conception we were taught in biology growing up that dna are the building blocks of life and and from the moment of conception when when the egg is fertilized a separate dna strand from that mother occurs well well, what about a woman's right over her own body? Don't, don't they have a right? Yeah, they have a right. You do have a right over your own body to not have what causes it, because I know there's children in the room. What causes that? <laughs> um, so there's where your choice lies. Your choice lies there. Well, I don't want to be closed-minded because they'll say, well, what about in the, in the instance of rape? I've said this before to other people who are in an argument with. I tell you what. I'll give you that 2% because it's 2% of all abortions have to do with rape and incest. Mm -hmm. I'll give you that 2% if you'll, if you'll be willing to say all other 98% of abortions are wrong. I'll give you that, and we can work on that later. Because, yes, I still think life, it's not the baby's fault in, in that case. Right. But it's disingenuous. That argument is disingenuous from that side because they don't want to give that 98%. Right. So how about let's talk about the, the, the macro issues and we'll focus on the micro later. So I'm saying this to say that if, if, one, if one candidate, if we say the conservative candidate, the, the pro-choice or the pro-life candidate traded their pro-life stance with the other candidate who is pro-choice, pro-abortion, if that's the only thing they traded and everything else was the same, then I would vote for the more pro-life candidate. As I heard Al Mohler say, um, I would vote for a communist dog catcher if he was more pro-life than his opponent. Yeah. <laughs> and I think that's the, that's the biblical view, though, because here's the reality, okay? Again, our perspective here has to be Bible first. What does God have to say first? Not how do I feel first, not what, what's yeah. most convenient first, what does the Bible first say? Again, that's what it means to be a born-again believer, okay? That I have a personal relationship with Christ by repentance, by His grace through faith, and I'm going to walk the biblical line. What, what's the Bible say? Uh, I'm glad you asked. Psalm 139 uh, right. says this, For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you. So it seems like the psalmist is saying, I was a being in my mother's womb. I praise you for I am fearfully and I am wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows them very well. 
My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. Does that mean I'm a person in the unformed substance? Absolutely. From the very moment of conception. You can't argue that biblically. All right. And your book was written every one of them the days that were formed for me when as uh, yet there was none of them. So from the Bible's perspective, a person is a person no matter how small, right? Mm -hmm. uh, yes, I just said that out loud. A person is a person, no matter how small. Yeah. So, which makes the the elimination of that person, no matter how small, nothing less than murder. Okay. Mm -hmm. Now, that, those words seem harsh, uh, and there may be people who watch this or in the room who have gone through a abortion. I want you to know God's love and His mercy and His grace extends there, but that's not God's heart for his people. It's not God's heart for his creation mm -hmm. because we were, this is the issue, this is the gospel issue. We were created in the image of God. Mm -hmm. We are, in fact, of all creation, uh, all creation is good, but he looked at mankind as being his masterpiece, right? We exchange that when we begin murdering other masterpieces. Does that make sense? So this, this is why this is the gospel issue, all right? Mm -hmm. then, then you have to look at, okay, those children, what did God intend eternally for those children? That's also why it's a gospel issue, right? These children have souls and therefore need the gospel, right? Yeah. And so that has to also be in the back of the mind of the church itself. That's why this is a gospel yeah. issue. And also, I was just thinking while you're talking about that, um, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 15, um, specifically 15.44, says, It is sown a natural body, it is raised a spiritual body. And this is the part I was thinking of. If there is a natural body, there is also a spiritual body. The implication is that in the physical body and the spiritual body are not disconnected. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and so if we're harming the physical body, we are also harming uh, spiritual life in a sense. Yeah. Um, obviously, the Lord's over. I think the Lord, you know, he's, he's gracious over. Uh, the, I can't help but just think of this in terms of, the act of killing an unborn child, yeah. where you're assaulting a physical body, yeah. a physical person. And this has always been an issue, by the way. This is not a, uh, we often think, well, this is just a Western issue, a modern issue. No, this has always been an issue. I mean, even looking back in the Old Testament era, and God's chosen people of Israel were in direct uh, contradiction to the pagan nations around them. And one of the practices of the pagan nations around them was they would sacrifice their children to their pagan gods. I see the same issue in America. I think we're sacrificing our children to the pagan god of comfort and selfishness no doubt. and greed. No doubt. Which makes it also, and I may get, you know, hated message for this, but I also believe abortion is an economic issue. Mm -hmm. I, be, I believe behind all of this is that there's, there's the money talks issue. That's the same issue in the Old Testament. It was a economic issue if i can appease the deities of my day then they'll be a blessing to my to my belief system and they'll give me fertile crops it was all about economics it was all about pleasing their own pagan and, and it's all about comfort it's yeah. all about comfort. convenience that's right yeah so yeah. so this is most definitely a, a gospel issue now uh, for the church this means that we have to champion we have to champion a uh, life mm. and it's every form we have to champion life because life is the very corner and the cornerstone of, of who God is, okay? If we're created in the image of God, and then God cared enough to send His Son, Jesus Christ, to die for our sins, that means every life matters. Now, I know there's a push in the racial, we'll talk about that in a minute, about certain lives matter. Most certainly that is the case, but every life matters. And that, let's, let's go ahead and call it what it is, that unborn child's life, that matters. The church needs to stand in the gap there. I think we're often... Uh, I think we have to. Yeah. To uh, the gospel demands we do. Yeah. It's not. This is not just a uh, a bipartisan something that we align ourselves with right. um, based on what kind of affiliate uh, party affiliation we want to identify with. This is the gospel doesn't give us room to 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 look at life any other way. Um, yeah. If we're reading it, reading scripture um, and interpreting it the way scripture is meant to be interpreted. Um, yeah. And there's always been. A pro-life movement, no matter where, where in history that was, whether in biblical times, going up, that where Christians or believers um, fought for life, whether that life 
was the understanding the sacredness mm -hmm. of that. Uh, you take Hitler's Germany. Mm -hmm. um, you brought that up earlier. The pro-lifers then, the Christian pro-lifers then, were led by Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I think about him, who who gave his gave his life for that in in a, in the midst of a, a war. Mm -hmm. um, read his biography, by the way. It's yeah, incredible. it's good. Um, but there's, uh, it, like I said from the beginning, if we can't get that right, if we can't get that simple thing right, yeah. the divide and, and the tailspin that, that will send us in, and it has other denominations, yeah. it sends you into a tailspin so far away from Scripture that there's no returning without absolute repentance yeah. for that. It's not by accident mm -hmm. that the fundamental greatest issues uh, in our culture today all begin back in creation. I don't know if you guys have paralleled this thing. Uh, all of our issues begin with our fundamental uh, lack of uh, belief in the value of the human life and therefore stem to the next sin, to the next sin. It snowballs from that initial imago deo, being born in the image of God, mm -hmm. right? Um, I think sometimes we, we want to passively excuse ourselves from the conversation as the, as the church because we don't want to be put in the political crosshairs or even are afraid of, of uh, being uh, exiled on social media by friends who are uh, pro-choice. Uh, however, to be a born-again believer doesn't mean we get to... This is one of my, my pet peeves, guys, is that we want to uh, we want to champion both causes. We can't champion Christ and the world. So at some point, and, and maybe we're at that point in, in history, where the church in America has to stand up, okay, what are we going to be? Are we going to be born again and biblical? Or are we going to be passive and, and let go and let God, you know, and let just whatever happen, happen, you know? Uh, I think it's important for us to be a citizen of heaven first. I, I think we all agree to that. Mm -hmm. But to be a citizen of heaven means we also help preserve life here the best way we possibly can. We cannot excuse ourselves from this issue. Um, and did the, there's so with this conversation comes um, a very a various number of application points. So one one of the ones I thought would be important to bring up is the question that will inevitably asked of you is well what kind of compassion do you have if you um, you know for someone that they they feel as if having an abortion is the best thing for their family. That's usually the way the argument goes anyway. And so at least in my experience, some of the backlash to me being pro-life is um, we're not compassionate or loving to others that are in a, in a hardship, right? And so and this doesn't have to be answered right here because um, we have church. We're in church right now. But um, uh, the, I guess what I'm trying to say is, uh, sorry, I'm losing my train of thought. Um, <laughs> so what did I just say? Sorry. You said, being compassionate. Yeah. I mean, like being compassionate in that moment as someone who says the best thing for our, our family uh, yeah. right now is to yeah. have that abortion. But that's right. It, so it's important for us to define what compassion, yeah. what showing uh, what compassion is, and what love is in in terms of what of how the Bible defines it. Yeah. That's that's what I was trying. To say. And there has to be. And here's the thing about <laughs> abortion in regard to that compassion. Okay. Mm -hmm. Okay, what what's the best thing for the baby? Mm -hmm. You know, the question is, we can we can defend ourselves, but who's defending the child? You know, in those moments where is it inconvenience? Probably sometimes. You know, um, maybe you weren't economically prepared to have that child, or uh, something happened, and maybe you 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 made a, a mistake, made a bad decision, and you get pregnant out of wedlock or some situation like that, not expecting it. Uh, wasn't prepared for it, and we want to we want to justify our our behaviors then, but who's going to step in on the rights of the child and say, you know what, the best course of action, you know, it may not be the easiest for you, but the best course of action, the greater good, that's the issue. The greater good is to preserve life of that child. And I had a, a friend of mine approach me about this. I was fighting, and it was just so logical from a Christian perspective and a life perspective to fight for that baby to be able to be born. That baby needs to be able to be born. And it was asked of me, well, Kelly, what about after they're born? Where are you then? 
And that convicted me. Yeah. As the church, yeah. we should be convicted about that. Yeah. Because a lot of times they're, oh yeah, we're going to fight for them to live and hope that they get adopted. Yeah. How about let's not hope? Right. How about let's put ourselves into this, whether it be yeah. foster care, adoption programs, uh, even orphanages yeah. who are, that are godly boys and girls' homes that we should pour our money in and we should make that place for them because yeah. then we can stand on that and say, we've done it. Right. Hey, we've created that. And there are great ministries out yes, there, there that do that. Even some local that are great. Yes, great. but I'll tell you this. I would venture to say that 75%, I'm throwing that statistic out there, 75% of pro-lifers, and I've been in that 75%, don't think about what happens after that baby right. does get to be right. born. We have a responsibility for that child, not just for the birth of that child, but the nurture of that child. Yeah. Uh, physically, spiritually, in all in all realms, we have to nurture that child. And this is this is really pressing. This is a this is new to 2020, maybe some in 2019, but this is the 2020 issue is the the word infanticide, mm -hmm. and, um, which is the is they have the option to kill a child after it's been born. Like in in the moments after it's been yeah. born, or I forgot the, how long they allow it, the like the time frame from the time it's actually been it's born. the slippery slope. He's been born. Yeah. It's the slippery slope, and all yeah. these issues that we're going to be talking yeah. about have that slippery yeah. slope. Yeah. That is that to a believer yeah. says to the only logical conclusion. Yeah. That's what we've been saying the whole time. The question yeah. at the end of that wrote every time that statement every time is okay. Then who's worthy to live? Who's worthy to live? Who's worthy to live? And then. The child was born, they're not worthy to live, so that's fine, we can kill that child. Oh, that senior adult, their, their quality of their life isn't good, we can, we can kill that senior adult away, uh, euthanasia. We, that's okay, that's okay, we can do that. That's what happens when you don't value life, mm -hmm. all life. Because every, mm -hmm. from conception to natural death, matters. Matters to God, and if it matters to God, it matters to church. Now, why is that an issue? Why are we talking about that so much? Because it's, it's really one of the primary, if not the primary issue. Um, but make note, and again, it's not our job to endorse. I just want you to know that. But if the church would go to the polls and vote on this one issue in a biblical framework, it'll be a hands-down win for a worldview. Mm -hmm. Okay? Mm -hmm. By, because the, the, two, the two platforms are totally distinct in this area. Okay? There is no, no even close to moderate. I think that's the issue. There's no moderate view here. Okay? It's one extreme or the other. That's why the church has got to vote biblically informed when it comes to uh, a presidential election, and any election. So. One last thing, and we'll wrap this up. Uh, just an article. I'm just going to read the, the title of this article. You can go on and look. It's by a, an editorial writer with the L.A. Times named Carla Hall. Mm -hmm. And the title of this article is Ruth Bader Ginsburg Protected Your Abortion Rights. Be afraid now that she's gone. Um, go and you can read that article, but yeah. what you'll see is that is that the, the Los the Angeles writer, Times, yeah. yeah, the Los Angeles Times. Um, if if what you'll see is someone who is so caught up in humanism and the idea of a woman being the god of herself, that the devastation of knowing that I cannot have an abortion is one of the worst things that it could be. And the fact that Ruth Bader Ginsburg, she is confessing here, that Ruth Bader Ginsburg was the only thing standing in the way of that, I'm not rejoicing over the her dying. But there is a freedom that we see now that we can that we can go in that direction. Yeah. Uh, we can see where it's going. And if you're watching this, we have an opportunity. To save this lives. is a historical moment in, in the life of our nation. At this point, familiar with our, our government whatsoever, the Supreme Court branch of our exec, or the judicial branch of our government hinges right now upon one one spot, one spot, and the appointment of that one spot will determine which direction our country goes when it comes to abortion. One spot. Uh, so, do you don't think it matters? Oh, it matters. It matters, and, and here's the reality. It matters not just for the next four years. It matters for the next two decades. In fact, I would say it would matter eternally uh, for the fact that I don't know if we can come back from this if we go down the path that we're headed. Yeah. So. I'm, I'm so thankful that I was talking to Joey before this, that we have, that we even have a say-so yeah. uh, in this. 
you know, we get we're talking now about how our biblical biblical convictions inform how we vote. And so many places in the world, majority of the places in the world, don't get the option. Um, and so it's important for Christians to, to be faithful with the with what we have, yeah. um, what we've been given, uh, in, in the role that we have to vote. So, because um, this could be great for our country, or it could be, more, it could be terrible for our country. Right. So. So uh, the next topic that we're going to, that uh, we need to discuss today is uh, the recent, I guess the past couple of years, uh, I think 2015, it was legalized for same-sex couples to get married in the United States. So um, this brings us to the topic of LGBTQ plus at this point, um, yeah. rights, um, what that means in context of what the so-called family looks like in America. And also how it there's 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 a trickle down effect in how laws are passed, and uh, and what it means for the church sure. even, uh, today. So I think this is one of the, the hottest topics in culture uh, for a lot of different reasons. Uh, one thing I, I didn't consider in this topic over the, till the last several years is now the impact on my kids who are now going to public schools and being educated in public schools in a secular environment. And now what they're being taught, that's why the implications of this issue is so important. This is most definitely a gospel issue. Uh, well, why is it a gospel issue? It's not just a moral, ethical issue. It's a gospel issue because it goes all the way back, again, to God's creative purposes. Uh, it's beginning of creation. Uh, I think it's early as Genesis 2, verse 24. It says, for this, man, this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be united or cleave unto his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. Uh, what we see as early as Genesis chapter 2 mm -hmm. is the creation of the family, the nuclear family as God intends it to be. And once you begin taking away that, which is, by the way, this is the enemy, he knows exactly the most fundamental unit in society is family. So if he can attack that unit and redefine, about that, redefine the terminology of family and marriage, then he starts a slippery slope when it comes to moral failure and then national failure. And I think that's where we're, we're finding ourselves That's in. such a great point and a key point to focus on. We, we see the LGBTQ, things like that. And as Christians, we want to, as biblical Christians, we want to say, no, this is an abomination. This is wrong. We can't do this. The L, the G, the B. Rather than saying, no, 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 no. Let's look. Let's look and see what is right. Right. And, and what marriage is. And one of the things that, and I know there's several passages, but one of the things that I think about when I think about marriage is there's so many passages in, in the Old Testament that speaks of who God is and the bride. Ezekiel 16 is beautiful where he, he comes and he rescues the bride and is both the father. And as the bride grows, it becomes the, it, he, he becomes the groom, yeah. things like that. But then I think about the marriage of the Lamb. Yeah. And when I see those things and we hear, let us rejoice and be glad and give glory to him for the marriage of the lamb has come and the bride has made herself ready. It was given to her to clothe herself in fine linen, bright and clean for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. Mm -hmm. So this to me, I, I see a focus. If we'll focus on what marriage is and y'all, and the purpose of marriage. Yes, and we pervert marriage. In our, yeah. We forgive so many things, and I've been divorced before. I've, I'm, I'm a divorcee who God has uh, forgiven for whatever I've done, but I also am able to look back with honesty and say, that was a perversion of marriage too. Yeah, yeah. So every perversion of marriage, it, I'm not saying everything is equal in consequence. Yeah. Because LGBTQ is not a sin that causes something. If you'll see in Romans 1 that yeah. you're about to go yeah. through, it is the result of a sinful view right. of marriage right. and God. Before I get to Romans 1, I want to mention this when it comes to LGBTQ. Uh, marriage, the fundamental purpose of marriage and the family is sanctification. Mm -hmm. I believe wholeheartedly 1 Thessalonians 4, 3 says... The purpose of God, the will of God for us is sanctification. That's right. right. The purpose of 
the marriage relationship is that the husband would help bring sanctification to the wife and the wife would help sanctify the husband and there wouldn't be any impurity there. And so when you begin to rob that biblical understanding out, you open the door to every kind of sin, not sanctification, every kind of sin. The verse you just brought up, I just wanted to say this. The very next verse... The one thing, the, this is the will of God for your sanctification. He could have named a million things right. for your sanctification. Right. What does he name? Yeah. Sexual that you abstain from, from sexual, sexual immorality. immorality. That's right. And seeing that, that is the perversion of marriage. So yeah. absolutely what yeah. you're saying. So Romans one, Paul, Paul articulates this and by the way, we live in the Romans one culture. Let's just go ahead and say it. Uh it's one of the reasons why I named this series uh, Many People Under Many Gods because we used to be one nation under God, under that Judeo-Christian value. I'm not say, saying that everybody was Christian, the foundation of our... I'm not saying that every uh, you know, forefather was a born-again believer, but we, we began under that assumption, that uh, framework of Judeo-Christian values. We are no longer that nation, okay? And I know we want to preserve that, and I still think we'll see revival or could see revival in our nation. I'm praying for that. hope you are. But we now live in a Romans 1 uh, culture. Mm. It's more of a pagan, secular culture. Uh, it's not spiritualism. It's not Christianity. It's not, it's not born-again believers. It is absolute paganism at this point. And this is the way Romans 1 writes out. I just want to read these verses. It's for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness they suppress the truth, namely the fundamental truths from God's Word, okay, and God's creative purposes. That's important. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power, his divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that he has been made. So they are without excuse. We are, by the way, without excuse. For although they knew God, here it is, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile or foolish, and their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened, and listen carefully, claiming to be wise. Isn't that that's our culture? They were, we are evolving. And I would, I would say, and we've talked about this in other podcasts, we're actually de-evolving. Mm-hmm. You know? We're not getting really smarter. We're certainly not morally evolving. We're de-evolving uh, altogether. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and they exchanged the glory of the mortal God for images resembling mortal man, birds, and animals, and creeping things. And let's say that's idolatry. We don't really have idolatry. Oh, there's things we, we certainly put as idols in our life. Therefore, as a result of that, therefore of us not holding on to the, these bad words in our postmodern world, those absolute truths of God and His Word, mm-hmm. therefore God gave them up to the lust of their hearts, to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged, here it is, why? Because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. And then he says, for this is the reason, Here's the, here's the LGBTQ. And, and, by the way, for this is not just LGBTQ. This is also for marriage outside or sex outside of marriage. Okay? Well, I mean, just an affair. This yeah. is the same, same principle here. For this reason, God gave them up to its honorable passions. For their women exchanged natural relations for those who are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving themselves a due penalty for their error. This does not describe America. I mean, I read these texts and I think, this is, this is the culture in which I live. You know? and, and America, if you follow uh, world history, America, we're kind of on the tail end of this. This is the culture of Europe, by the way. Uh, and this is the culture that's quickly becoming who we are as a nation here in the United States. This is terrifying. Where did it begin? It began with a uh, lack of understanding, a lack of acknowledging absolute biblical truth and that's where all sexual immorality stems from this is why this is a gospel uh issue so and this is important to grasp for us as believers this this process and understanding looking behind the curtain because satan wants to say pay no attention to the man behind the curtain wizard of oz yeah um but if we can look behind the curtain and see this there are so many believers and conservatives who don't see that, who constantly are complaining about the symptoms rather than looking behind the curtain and seeing that disease and saying, right. we, we have to see it from this perspective. And let me tell you what this is not. Uh, this is not, uh, I've been accused of being homophobic. I'm not homophobic. This, just, this is me looking at God's Word and saying God's Word is the standard 
of which I make all of my decisions. God's word is, not what culture tells me. I don't read the Bible with cultural lenses. I read the Bible for what the Bible says, and then it informs the way that I view culture. Now, here's the other thing, Will, is that uh, I know we all have friends who have chased that lifestyle. In fact, I had friends in college who chased that lifestyle, and I've had some really, really hard conversations with those friends. What happens oftentimes as, as the church is that we begin putting faces with that lifestyle, and all of a sudden our heart, for whatever reason, we begin to compromise in our view of that lifestyle. Just because we don't agree with that lifestyle doesn't mean we have to stop being friends with that person. In fact, I would say this all the more. We need to actually step in and love that person appropriately, but biblically to the point, hopefully, that we can help restore them to that biblical worldview. But just because we know somebody in that lifestyle doesn't make it right all of a sudden. Yeah. I, uh, I was going to say, I, I just recently was reading a, a book by Rosa, uh, Rosaria Butterfield, and it's called... Uh, openness unhinged and what she was saying was her part of her backstory was she was an lgbt like activist at syracuse university of syracuse or syracuse university however she says it and like so she she was engaged to another woman like was actively in uh, a lesbian relationship um but what her conversion story in her conversion story when she was telling about it in her book she was saying my biggest problem was not that I was gay, but is that I needed Jesus. That's right. That's so um, I can't help but think in Matthew chapter 5 where, um, you know, we were just saying that uh, sexual immorality across the board is sinful. Mm-hmm. And I, I can't help but think that you know, Jesus himself raises the bar mm-hmm. where he says, you have heard it, you've heard that it was said, you shall not commit adultery, but I say to you, that everyone who looks at a woman with lustful intent has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Yeah. And during this, in this whole dialogue here, Jesus is saying, basically making the case, mm-hmm. the implication is that we can't live up to the standard. Yeah. We can't. And yeah. we need a Savior uh, to, to, to bear our sin on the cross for us. And so the implication, and this is where the gospel is so beautiful, yeah. is that our LGBTQ friends... Their biggest hurdle is not that they're gay, yeah. is that they don't have Jesus, but yeah. they can, yeah. and they uh, they just need they, uh, them as well as other people, heterosexual friends that are living in sin, just like them. They both need to turn to Jesus for salvation and repent from their sins, and He'll save them. You yeah, know? the gospel is the only solution, not behavior modification. No, it's the gospel. The gospel is the only thing that can change our hearts. And therefore, our minds and our inclinations and our desires. And that's why only the gospel. And that's why us as a church need not be homophobic. Right. Being homophobic is not showing the love of Jesus. That's right. It's yes. not. Um, time back into political. Yeah. And um, oh, the yeah. idea of <laughs> the idea of marriage, because that's the political issue, yeah. is was gay marriage. Yeah. And um, is is that something we can abide? Uh, because it's not a matter of do we think Americans have the right to commit these acts with each other? Yes, we're not gonna. We're not. We're a free country that can happen. We can't police no, people's we're not, behaviors. That is no Lost desire. people's behavior, especially. I know. I have no desire to do that. Like yeah. you're saying, I want to treat the disease, not the symptoms. Right. So that is not. As a matter of fact, I think marriage is only not only just for a man and woman. I think it's for a Christian man and a woman. I agree. Mm. Because a marriage ceremony between two people and both of them aren't believers and aren't regenerate and do not have Christ yeah. makes zero sense right. mm. at all. No sense. Right. Right. So Christian, so marriage is for Christians. I agree. Men, Christian men and Christian women who have come together yeah. equally yoked in Christ. So if we look at marriage and we create marriage, we create, I'm sorry, we see how God created marriage as a sacred union that reflects Him, mm-hmm. reflects Him as the groom and the church as the bride, mm-hmm. then that sacredness, when it is usurped by a political act, mm-hmm. such as, we, such as a, a, an abomination, according to Scripture, mm-hmm. that says we want to call that marriage too, no. You call it anything else you want to. Civil you can't union, call that whatever you want to. Yeah. So we can't abide that. Yeah. What I find in this, this is a historical event. I mean, I, I don't know about you guys. I love history. I love I love reading about history. I know some of our, our church members do as well. But if you follow the great empires of the world, 
Again, the same, same pattern can be found in all of these empires. Uh, there was a devaluing of life. Mm-hmm. There's also a redefining of what is appropriate marriage and family relationship looks like. Uh, look in the Old Testament. Time and time again, the, the great truths, the great moments of God's wrath was poured out on peoples that were very immoral sexually. Very immoral. Yeah, there's almost like a direct correlation between God's wrath, judging a nation, and sexual immorality. And the way that nation esteems and holds up biblical marriage and the value of the family. Mm -hmm. The creature rather than the creator. Worshiping the creature rather than... We think of idols. But you know what else is a creature? Sex itself was created. It was created and it it is now worshiped. Yep. Yeah, Sex absolutely. itself is worshipped through pornography, for yep. per- perversions, through through de- defining ourselves by our sex. Yes. Where where we do yeah. things like that. Yeah. <laughs> That's how we we define my person. So yeah. now I have to who I am is yeah. no longer. Yeah, we're worshiping the creation rather than the creator. Like absolutely. That. Yeah. And yeah. and I've and I've defined myself by an. By a gift that God's given me, right? And that's now my God. So that's a, by the way, that is a pet peeve of mine. Um, anywhere, when somebody's being interviewed uh, in their, their, in that other agenda, that's the first thing they say. My name is so and so, and I, I am, I'm, I'm this or I'm this. Uh, as a Christian, that's never the way we were labeled ourselves. No. We're, hey, my name is Joey Bentley, and I'm first and foremost a follower of Jesus Christ. You know, mm-hmm. that's how we are defined, not by these other idols, and they are idols of our culture. Very dangerous. Again, gospel issue. Uh, I think we have to consider not just to speak up to in love. I think that we have to do it wisely in love, but it also has to be an issue that we take when we vote. This yeah. has to be a voter issue. And primarily, the reason Christians, if you're unChristian watching this, the reason that Christians care about LGBTQ rights and as it pertains to the politi- to the public square is that because we hold to the belief that marriage reflects who God is Mm -hmm. and when it's corrupted it is showing the world a false view of God and and not just who God is but the gospel the gospel and this is and it's talking about the marriage separate lamb that is a picture of the fruition of the gospel itself that in fact if you look at the New Testament what is the the best picture of Christ and his church the marriage relationship and so if we distort that and the church there's a movement for churches to not only allow it but endorse it even among the ministers of churches. Mm-hmm. If we do that, we are actually uh, we're actually taking away from the gospel. Mm-hmm. We are devaluing the gospel and we're distorting the gospel yeah. by doing it. And again, to the unchristians like or the unbelievers, um, I don't want you to think that we are just coming together to to stop you from doing something that you want to do. It's primarily because we want the world to see. The Savior that saved us. Yeah, that's right. that's why we care about this. It's not because we are concerned about you not doing something. Yeah. Um, that's we're so much more concerned about your, like, your soul and your faith in Christ than than, than that. That yeah. is the biggest issue. Yeah. So our next, uh, next topic or issue when it comes to gospel issues and how we uh, interact, civic responsibilities and voting. Uh, we talked about abortion. We've talked about LGBTQ, particularly marriage and the definition of marriage and family. I think we need to talk about religious liberty as well. Religious liberty has to be a gospel issue uh, for it allows people the opportunity, and here's the reality, opportunity to open their eyes and their heart to the gospel. All right? Uh, thankfully, I am so thankful, I, I, I said this before, I, I'm an American, I am a patriotic American, I'm a Christian first and foremost, I will always submit under the Lordship and Leadership of Christ long before I submit under the Christian or the American flag. Uh, however, I'm a patriot, and, and I, I love the fact that I live in this nation, I love our nation. Uh, thankfully, we started as a nation who championed religious liberty. In fact, I wouldn't even say from our Baptist heritage, if you traced historical Baptists back, Baptists were the weirdos. Of course, we're always weirdos anyway. But Baptists were the weirdos, believe it or not. We were the, we were the radicals at one point in time historically because we came out of that tradition of uh, not just Roman Catholicism, but Anglicanism uh, and some of the other uh, pushes uh, around the Reformation. Thank God for the Reformation. But 
Uh, we were the we were the, the radicals in that respect, and we we fought not just for the beliefs that Baptists traditionally hold, but also for other uh, denominations of Christianity, but even other religions. You know that people have the right to choose to believe what they believe. You can't force people's hands on it. One of the problems uh, I think in American culture is that we have in this this statement separation of church and state. We've misunderstood that completely. Our forefathers used that terminology because of the Church of England's hand upon all of government in uh, before our nation was ever founded. So there was a the church and state were so intricately connected that there was really no spiritual focus whatsoever. The the Church of England was a a political entity. Okay, mm-hmm. and so our forefathers saw in in divine sovereignty and wisdom. Hey, we need to create something where the church does not run the government, and the government then does not also run the church. That leads into religious liberty. Uh, that does not mean, and I just want you to hear this out, does not mean that uh, we should divorce our faith then from the way that we vote or we're involved in politics or anything else for that matter. That's not the separation of church and state. Mm-hmm. Separation of church and state says those are two totally different entities, okay, which allows for religious freedom, okay? Now, are all religions equal? Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that in a country that we live in, the gospel issues that people have the opportunity to search for truth, discover truth, which I believe in the person of Jesus Christ, and then respond to that truth by salvation, okay? Religious uh, religious liberty. The obvious counter to religious freedom is religious oppression. Right. Uh, That's obvious, but think about it, you know. Um, Yes, we were saying that obviously we affirm that Christianity is the religion. It's um, the only one true, as the, in the Bible, this is the true way to Jesus, to to, to God through Jesus. Um, But by saying, if we are to say that we want certain religions to not have a voice, that's inevitably going to bleed into affecting all the religions to where none of us can worship freely. Yeah. Or, um, or only the, yeah. the religion that the state ordains. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. yeah and I think that's where you're starting to see a little bit of these issues. And, and some of this is uh, pandemic-related. But you're, you're, you're seeing some overstepping of, and, and this is, mm-hmm. I, I believe, my God-informed observation, but there's been some overstepping in uh, both on state level, a little on federal level, maybe even local level, overstepping into religious liberty. And, and, and this is not a time for us to, to make enemies with the world, but, but it is a time for us to say, you know what, this is a religious liberty issue. You know, yeah. We have the right to gather and worship. You know, uh, the, the state has no uh, bearing upon that decision. You know, the, the federal government has no, no, no authority over that opportunity, that religious liberty that we have. If we're not careful, here's what happens. And if you, we've been to Uganda, Kelly. Uh, there, are, there are many countries, especially in Africa and some in Europe, many in Asia, that already have a, a federal religion, a uh, national religion. And if you're not observant of that natural, national religion, then you are really a terrorist or, a, or are guilty of a hate crime in many ways. You are subject to penalty, imprisonment, and even death, right? Thank God we live in a country that we do champion religious liberty. Mm. If we ever lose that, we will be in the same scenario. So religious liberty has to be a gospel issue. As soon as Christianity, throughout history, and this 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 will give flaming arguments coming my way from, from other people that I've talked to who do not agree with what I'm about to say, but throughout history, if you look back, there has never been true followers of Jesus Christians who have who have in any way persecuted people never yeah. no what about the spanish inquisition what about the crusades, crusades. Yeah. what about the that's that's when it at Christi, christianity the they sh- shared they took the name of christianity yeah. and made it political because yeah. as soon as christianity becomes political it ceases to be it ceases to be God. Right. It ceases because it thrives in the minority. It thrives. It thrives from the strength that comes within, and because there is no need. Render unto Caesar 
Jesus is the one who started separation of church and state. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Great point. Yeah. Render unto Caesar what Caesar's. Right. So it's so, from that statement. It's ironic. And under too. God. Yeah. And unto God what is God's. So if I'm rendering unto Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's, that is my separation that right. Jesus said right there. If ever I am combining those two, it ceases to be following what Jesus said. So I'm not a Christian. Yeah. That is not Christianity. So all of these accusations that come from typically atheist and anti, anti-Christian forces that say atrocities and ha- have happened in the name of Christianity, mm-hmm. maybe in the name of Christianity, yeah. but it was not in the spirit of Christianity. Because Jesus yeah. himself defined what, a Christi- what Christianity would look like when it came to the church and the right. state. Right. I absolutely agree. Now, I'm going to give a caveat to this conversation. I think, again, Christians, born-again believers, let me characterize that, born-again believers have a right to help preserve religious liberty. But I do believe in my lifetime, this is just put JB next to this, that we may see the death of religious liberty in America. All right? Now, I don't think we should expedite that. I I certainly don't think we should vote that way to make it happen faster. But when it happens, Kelly, when it happens... uh, I do believe that persecution is also biblical. I also believe that the church will be strengthened. I see, I see churches throughout our world, uh, church in China, other places that are flourishing under tremendous mm-hmm. opposition and persecution mm-hmm. where they have no religious liberty, yeah. and yet that's where the church is the strongest. So on the one hand, as a pastor, and I just want us to have religious liberty, people to choose, but on the other hand of it, Lord, in your sovereignty, if you move this direction, yeah. I also realize that there is some uh, purifying of the church. There is some sanctifying of the church that will happen in the midst of persecution. We should certainly pursue religious liberty. Yeah. We're wrong, uh, but we also need to know it's not. And here, and over all these issues, and this is a high view of God that we have to have. There is the sovereignty of God, mm-hmm. and so uh-huh. God's going to work all things together for His good and for His glory and our ultimate good. Uh-huh. Although it may not be good in the moment for us, yeah. does that make sense? Um, yeah, and I, I was actually I actually just saw today one of my uh, atheist friends actually he he posted something online and I, I've talked directly with them about this so he knows but uh, he one of his beefs with the church in America is that when things get a little bit rough here um, we think that the end of the world's coming <laughs> right and so he and he is actually in a context where he actually lives outside the United States so he yeah. he sees poverty. Firsthand, yeah. um, he sees uh, living conditions, you know, where they're living in the mud, yeah. you know, and yet he's seeing people in the United States, specifically church people in the United States, say, as soon as things get a little bit rough over here, Jesus is about to come yeah, back. And, yeah, and I heard Doug Wilson, and who he's I love, got a point. Yeah, you know? Doug Wilson said that we, we say things are horrible as we go to our high-tech refrigerator and pull out a cold drink. I know, right? Sit there, lean against it in our air-conditioned room and tell our wife, man, the world's coming to an end. So we have all these blessings. You haven't had a bad day. We've had all these (laughs) blessings. But let me use this as a time to say, Uganda has opened back up its borders. We're planning on going. Let's go. Let's get a team to go. So We need to experience that. And we don't just go over there to help people you know, and we things. We, we go over Parker, there to give us perspective. We should have a Parker Theology Club time in Uganda. We should. Let me, let me caveat that. Talk about religious liberty um, and, and Uganda. It was uh, just a little before we actually went this past time that there was actually a, uh, a missionary and a child that were killed in the southern part of Uganda by a Muslim tribe. The, top, the, the town itself was devoutly, devoutly Muslim mm-hmm. and a missionary was doing some work in that town and was abducted and killed. That's that's what happens uh, when religious liberty is pulled away. Now, mm-hmm. is that all of Uganda know? Uh, there's a lot more freedom, in, but in those, in those areas, you get out mm-hmm. in the bush, there are certainly those pockets of Islam as well as other religions that there is no freedom to choose the gospel. Yeah. And that's where you find the, the issues, especially when it comes to... Yeah. Uh, yeah. So. With all this being said, a little persecution ain't bad for us. That's right. Bad for the church. Um, God, in so many times, so many times, God has used persecution to purify His church. I don't think we should so. seek suffering. We should. When suffering comes, know that God has a purpose. But He definitely needs to.
Um, next section, we're wanting to talk about a very hot topic in the news, and we're seeing it all the time and hearing those words. We see movements centered around this. We see we see law firms centered around this. We see uh, class action suits. We see all kinds of things. And is this the issue of social justice? Now, understanding, first, we have to understand the root of that phrase, justice. What is justice? To seek the right, to seek what is right. One of the definitions in the catechisms that I go through with my son is, is what does it mean that God is just? That means that he is right and he is the standard of right. Mm -hmm. So justice is seeking what is right. Um, social justice is, a, is an adjective that is put on the word justice. And we, we make up terms in our culture all the time. It, it, every day I'm hearing a new term to get somebody to to try to understand somebody else's philosophy. So let me define exactly what social justice is. It's a concept of fair and just relations between individual and society as measured by the distribution of wealth, opportunities for personal activity, social privileges, and social privileges. In Western as well as Asian cultures, the concept of social justice has often referred to the process of ensuring that individuals fulfill their societal roles and receive what they're do, what they are due in society. Um, as I'm reading that, and as you hear that, if you think about that coming from your TV and you're hearing that definition, a lot of times in our American heart, if we don't have Christ and the cross as the lens through what we're seeing the world as, it seems harmless. But if you read that from the perspective of who God is and who God is to us, it is so anti-Christ. It is, a, it is a seeking what is ours. Bring in what is mine. When Jesus said, Let, lay down your life, take up your cross, Paul said to live as Christ and to die as gain. So those things of me worrying any longer, I, I, I count them as rubbish. And and what, what we're seeing here is a desire to let go of any cross or anything that has to do with discomfort for me. And to grab what is mine, what is mine, and one of the biggest, uh, one of the biggest things we see now is it, you mentioned that it's a screen or a smoke screen in a lot of ways for our politicians and political and, and our our culture to kind of push this to get their agenda out, especially especially during a year where you have where it's a it's an election year, mm -hmm. and you have COVID nineteen that so happens to come out, and you have. Um, the social justice issues with Black Lives Matter and yeah. and other issues opposing those things, um, that from both ends of the uh, of the of the side, I'm seeing hate, hate, hate come in, yeah. and we as Christians are stepping back with our mouths agape, saying, yeah. "What is this? How how do we figure this out?" Yeah. I think there are, there are a couple of dangers in the conversation of social justice. Uh, one of the dangers is that we don't even acknowledge it and we are completely sovereign on it and even downplay the reality of it. That's one danger. The other d danger is that it becomes all that we're about and that every issue is a social justice issue. Mm -hmm. Not every issue is a social justice issue. Now, that's not diminishing the fact that social justice issues are there. They are there. Yeah. Um, however, not every issue is a social justice issue. So the church has to be wise in how we handle that. Unfortunately, our culture has, uh, we, we've, we've kind of got to this point where the loudest person is heard the most, and so it's a shouting match, you know. And uh, my initial, when all, when all the stuff was going on this year, particularly with the racial uh, issues in our country, uh, my first was thought was, I need to be quiet right now. Why do I need to be quiet right now? Because it's better for the church to process and pray and then respond than just to react. Mm -hmm. How guilty are we as a church to reacting? Now, this is a gospel issue because the gospel is for everybody. The gospel doesn't have a caveat of ethnicity, mm -hmm. a caveat of race, doesn't have a caveat of uh, gender identification, mm -hmm. doesn't have a caveat of any of those things. Yeah. The gospel is for everyone. And so when Jesus sends the disciples out in Matthew 28, me included, uh, us included, then we're to go to all nations, baptizing them in the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Forget the color of skin or the ethnicity 
or socioeconomic, that's, that's a side point. The most important issue is the soul of a man. And I think that's what has to be championed in the church. Mm-hmm. You know, um, we live in the South. The South, unfortunately, is criticized because of, uh, obviously, geographically, this is where the, the core of the civil rights issues have come from in the 60s. But even back during the Civil War, this was the, the hotbed, so to speak, of the topic. Yeah. Um, and I would like to say that, that we've, we've reconciled all that. We haven't. Yeah. Uh, now, I think we're, we're, in my personal opinion, 10 cents worth, I think we, we've taken a, te- a step or two here or three, and then we take some steps back. Uh, I acknowledge the fact we take steps forward and then take steps back in this issue. But as a church, we have to be very careful that we never allow any other qualifiers to trump the fact that the soul is the most important part sure. of the being. And the church, particularly our church, we're, we're predominantly white. Um, we do have to be mindful that our black brother, brothers and sisters, they right, rightly interpret all this differently than mm-hmm. us yeah. white Caucasian men. Yeah. Um, and so what I, what, the reason I'm saying that is that we have to, as a church, be somehow um, cultivate the idea of, of, uh, of seeing this through the gospel lens, but at the same time showing gospel grace and compassion. And compassion yeah. to those Christians who brothers and yeah. sisters who are black and who have prob- they have different opinions yeah. on and, it than we do. And they've and, been hurt. And here's the issue thing the gospel yeah. demands is that we crawl we crawl on the side of sympathy and compassion for our brothers and sisters in Christ who are hurting. Mm. And certainly we should hurt, you know. Sure. Uh, the the, the moral atrocities that have led to the social justice issues are wicked. Man, we just got to say that. Biblically, they're wicked. You know, There is absolutely no room for that in the gospel. None whatsoever. Sure. I, have, I have no patience for that. Um, I've had instances as a pastor where I've had to address that. I have no patience for it because that is a major, major stumbling block, the gospel, mm-hmm. in any community. Right? There's just no. So we, we, have to, we have to keep that in mind. I personally believe one of, the, one of these days I hope to pastor a multi-ethnic, multi-racial church. But a church in any given community must look like the demographic of the community. It must. Mm-hmm. Around our church, we have multi-ethnic, multi-racial families and, mm. and individuals. That I think if we continue to live out the gospel, mm-hmm. we will reach. You know. Yeah. But also, it's not social justice that's going to make it happen. And also, it's the gospel, racial harmony highlights the gospel even all the more absolutely and uh, <laughs> if, if yeah. you struggle with uh yeah. racial harmony you're going to be shocked if you get to heaven oh i said it that way <laughs> if you get to Say heaven you're going to be shocked uh <laughs> because uh and i look forward to that kelly i mean i mean I, too. I look forward to being among the masses of red yellow black and white doesn't matter all glorifying christ yeah mm-hmm. this is a gospel issue and it's a gospel issue because every as we began this discussion uh, on abortion, every soul matters. Mm-hmm. Every soul matters. One of the a couple of the big issues, and if you haven't heard them, you probably heard the terms, but you might, probably don't know what it is unless you've Googled it. Is critical race theory and mm-hmm. intersectionality, and yeah. those things you can Google them and see what they are. But it's an it's it's an exacerbate it's an exacerbation of this separation of the races. Yeah. Um, it's it's saying it the the more minority uh, victimizations that you have, that's intersectionality, the more, more times that you have intersecting minority challenges, the more your opinion matters. Mm-hmm. And the less you have, the more your opinion is dismissed. It's invalid, so, yeah. Because yeah. it's, it's and, and we're sitting here three heterosexual white Christian men, yeah. so we have we no have intersections very, at all. We have very, so, we so, have very little. So uh, uh, the majority uh, of people we, who, who hold to CRT and, and, um, and intersectionality would not be listening to us anyway, but whatever. Um, we, we, we pray that the Holy Spirit yeah. is speaking through us, and when it doesn't, it corrects us, and, and it will speak, speak out through others. But being able to see these things that Satan has... Um, He's brought into the picture in order to separate these races, understanding that there is one blood. There are two races: the the saved race and the lost race. That's right. That's right. And, and I, I am I am a brother to my black, yeah. white, yeah. Hispanic, yeah. Asian, 
Christian mm-hmm. brother yeah. or sister way closer than I am to my own brother, not speaking of my brother Connor, but hypothetically, my own brother by blood if he is not a believer. That's right. That's right. Mm-hmm. So there are two races, the saved race and the lost yeah. race. And that has to be uh, the message of the church. Mm-hmm. And, and when, we, when we come to uh, any kind of civic responsibility, but also voting, you know, that we don't, we don't come to the polls with an agenda based upon the color of skin that we have. We come to the polls with mm-hmm. a biblical worldview centered around the gospel of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I guess that's the point of our conversation uh, throughout the course of our four issues. All four gospel issues are centered upon that biblical worldview. I'm convinced if the church, and I mean the church, I mean born-again believers, uh, mm. will show up and get involved in American life and politics and everything else and vote by a Christian worldview that our nation can be preserved in a Judeo-Christian value. But if we do not, and we don't vote based upon these issues, if we don't get involved based upon these issues, then, I, I brothers, I believe we're at maybe the end of the American empire as we know it. Uh, and so mm-hmm. uh, I guess our whole point here as we wrap up uh, today is that you would pray hard. A, pray hard uh, for the church. Mm-hmm. Uh, search your own soul, your own worldview. Make sure it's biblically informed first. And then that God in his grace would save America and that uh, God would bless America. That song's a beautiful song. I often have conflict with that song, asking God to bless us when we've not obeyed him. Mm-hmm. But his blessings are continued upon our obedience. And so that's the prayer. God would help us be obedient so you'll bless us. Good news is that he had that, you know, especially in this year, everything is so negative feeling to everybody and even to the church. But one encouraging thing, and maybe we can start landing and playing with this, is that two things. One, we know that God is sovereign. Uh, We've talked about it on some of our our uh, previous podcast episodes and discussions. So we know that God is sovereign over our nation. But two, what really gives me hope is that we see God giving us grace even now. Like even now in 2020 in the United States where we have any sane Christian with a a prefrontal vortex can tell you (laughs) that our our country has not honored God as a whole in, in a big sense but he's still showing his grace towards us which means that his patience is far beyond our comprehension so and i praise god for that because we need it well right now uh, church we are many people under many gods our prayer is that god in his goodness his grace but with our repentance that's the word our Mm -hmm. repentance we will one day again soon be one nation under god if you're here today and you're watching this uh, in live in the house in our church, uh, our time of commitment today, I want to issue our invitation this way. I would love for you just maybe to, uh, if you feel comfortable doing it, group up with a few people around you and pray for the spiritual revival of America, uh, beginning with the church, that the church would be first and foremost biblically faithful and would live their entire life, whether it be politics or economics or uh, ethics or whatever that may be, but based solely upon what the Bible says and what the gospel demands. And then God would use the church over the, in the course of the next month and two to, to help reshape the future of America. And that's, that's my prayer as we go. Y'all mind if I pray? Uh, we'll wrap it up that way. Thanks for being here today. As you listen to this, thank you for listening online uh, as well. Father God, thank you for every good and perfect gift. God, we pray for America today. It's a land that we do love. And we're so grateful uh, to be Americans, but Father, even more grateful to be a born-again believer uh, or to be a Christian, to be your son by Christ. And so, Father, I thank you, Lord, for that. That great pleasure is the greatest pleasure of my life, the greatest joy of my life. Father, I pray that as born-again believers, as the church, we would see it in that priority, that loyalty. Father, we would not be um, uh, overshadowed with patriotism to the detriment of being biblically faithful. Would help us, Lord, to get involved. Would help us to speak up up with both truth and grace. But would help us to to vote. And would help us to vote gospel issues, God. We pray for America. We pray for repentance in America. We pray for revival in your church. And Father, we pray for a renewing of America back to your desire 
to, to give you glory in all things. God, thank you for this opportunity. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Good job, guys. All right.